Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everyone. We're happy to be with you as always. Yes, indeed. Back again. This past weekend, I uh, had a little trip with two of our kids. We went to see a play. Um, the play was Our Town by Thornton Wilder. And ah, oh, what a, a beautiful um, play it was. I don't know if any of you have seen it or read it. It's was written in the late 1930s. Um, and it's just beautiful reflections on how, what a gift it is to be human. Um, and how seldom we pause and reflect on the gift of our lives. Death too, isn't it? Yes. But death as a way of realizing the gift of life, I think. Um, yeah. And a lot of it is talking about marriage and family relationships Mm. and, um, there's a, a portion where we're looking at how did a particular couple come to fall in love and get married. And uh, there's a, a narrator who just comments something like, I'm not going to say the line exactly right, but something like, it's, it's good to know where important things like this begin. And he's Ooh, talking about marriage yeah. and, and how important it is. So... Um, we, we all really enjoyed it, but I was out with those two kids and you were not with us and you, I was home watching an old Uh rom-com. I think it came out in 1999 called Notting Hill Uh with Hugh Grant and a big smiley lady. No. (laughs) What's her name? Julia Julia Roberts. Roberts. I was having a brain fart. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's worth watching. It's it. I wouldn't watch it with young kids. There's some raunch. Uh, fast forward through those things. Uh, there's a premarital sex scene. You can fast forward through that, but it's getting it's getting into questions about. Um, well, the, the Julia Roberts character is a famous movie star in the movie, and she ends up having a relationship with the common guy on the street uh, played by Hugh Grant. And it's about how fame kind of gets in the way of their relationship. And she ends it and then he wants to end it. She comes back and he, he's, he, she's like, can we try this again? He's like, nah, I just, I don't want to get heartbroken and see your face on billboards everywhere and be reminded of you for the rest of my life. And she, this was the, when we saw it, you and I saw it. What when it came out, maybe or uh, yeah, twenty years ago and um, or more. And the, this line has stayed with me for over twenty years. She says, "You know, the fame thing is not really real." And don't forget, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy, asking him if if he'd love me. And it's just this naked moment of, mm. they have their clothes on, but it's a, a naked <laughs> heart moment, like her heart's being exposed. And he's he's just caught like a deer in the headlights, like, I wasn't expecting you to be so vulnerable. And it's a it's a beautiful human moment. And every once in a while in a movie, you, you catch a, a glimpse of real humanity. And mm-hmm. 
I think the fact that that scene has stayed with me for 20 years yeah. is a, an indication of it, it went deep in me. Yeah. 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 Anyways, our town, if you get a chance to see a play. Yeah. Or if you want to see an old rom-com that'll make you smile, but you have to fast forward through some things, but there's some good stuff in it anyway. <laughs> Notting Hill. Yeah. Critics picks for this week. <laughs> <laughs> Any updates from the TUB Institute? Yes. Mark your calendars, May 13th to the 15th. We have this wonderful event that is going to be live. Uh, we're going to sell maybe 100 tickets to come to it. In person. In person. That's what I meant. In person. 100 tickets in person. And then broadcast uh, via the web to the whole world. Um, the more details to come, I'll just mention we have Father Mike Schmitz coming, Jeff Cavins coming, uh, Jason Everett coming, Bobby and Jackie Angel, and we have, da did I already say Damon Owens? No. Nope. Bill Dunahee, Damon Owens, and yours truly, and some few other people. Uh, so just mark your calendars. It's coming. More information will be on the way. Uh, and check the link in the show notes to learn more. Yeah, excited. It's gonna be it's gonna be a really stellar event. Yeah, that's great. Would you like our first question? Yes, please. Let's do it. That's what from, we're here to do. That's right. From an, an anonymous patron, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you for your podcast. It has been a gift to me. My husband and I have been married for seven years, and we have three children. We went through a dark season within our marriage a year and a half ago, to the point which I wondered if our marriage would survive. Mm, bless you guys. Bless you. We were struggling to understand one another, and our arguing increased significantly. This season lasted for about six months until we began counseling and started seeing some resolution. Although it's far from perfect, our relationship is in a much better place now. I recently found out that during that dark season, my husband viewed porn a handful of times. I'm so incredibly hurt by this. Mm. I have deep feelings of betrayal as if I've been cheated on. He doesn't understand this because to him it is far from cheating on me. He did, however, promise me it wouldn't happen again after he saw the pain it caused me. I do believe him. With that being said, I am really struggling to fully forgive him. I feel insecure when he sees me undressed. Mm. I have a hard time giving myself to him in intimacy because mm. I think of what he's done. Mm. I've told him this, but he doesn't fully understand my deep feelings about it. He's been to confession, but despite being a devout Catholic much of his life, he didn't know this behavior was regarded as adultery. He's been questioning faith in general for the past two years, which is very difficult for me as well. How do you suggest someone in my position move on in order to be able to fully give myself to my husband and move forward? Bless you, dear sister. Bless you. There are a lot of layers here. Uh, but before I kind of jump in to try to address them, I just want to to show my reverence for your sorrow and your suffering, which are very, very real and sacred. That's something we don't often think about our sufferings, that our sufferings are sacred. Uh, what, what allows us to say our sufferings are sacred? Uh, 
our sufferings are Jesus's sufferings. And Jesus's sufferings are sacred. You are suffering with Christ. He is suffering with you. That's very, very real. And I just want to reverence the sacredness of your particular, unique, very personal sufferings. You had said that you felt as if he had cheated on you. And I want to give you permission to remove the as if. It's not as if he did cheat on you. This is, you mentioned this phrase as well, this is adultery in the heart. This is exactly what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you've heard the commandment not to commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. This, you, you don't look at porn with without lusting. That's, that's the very purpose of porn, is to incite lust. Now, let me qualify that too. Uh, I've had occasions, I remember this years ago, I walked into a bathroom at a college campus where I was speaking, and there was porn in the bathroom. And I saw it, and I, I didn't have the intention to lust, nor did I lust when I saw it. Uh, so I just want to qualify that. It's possible to see porn uh, inadvertently and not fall into lust. But when you are intentionally viewing porn, you do it with the intention to arouse lust. And that lust is adultery in the heart. Uh, he is looking at these women with uh, in, in porn uh, with the intent to arouse himself and gratify himself and in a way that is adultery in the heart. I just want to affirm that again. You don't have to say as if he cheated on you. Um, now, the distinction he's making is he didn't have physically sexual relations with someone else. Okay, there are distinctions to be made there, but there's also, you know, maybe a, I don't want to admit or I don't want to acknowledge that in many respects, this goes as deeply in a wife's heart as having had an affair with someone else. So I just want to affirm that that pain in your heart is real, that there has been a real betrayal, uh, and it is understandable because of that betrayal that when you're undressing in front of your husband, something has changed, uh, and you feel uncomfortable, and that is understandable. Uh, not only understandable, it's, it's, it's a sign that you are in touch with, with truth, uh, that your husband has given himself to lust, and what is to make you think that he's not also looking at you with a similar lust. And you know deep in your heart, you're not meant to be lusted after. You're not meant to be treated as a thing. It's not like, let's just be clear here, it's not like, well, if he had just lusted after his wife, everything would be fine. Uh, no, 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 no. John Paul II is so clear on this in his Theology of the Body, that a man can commit adultery in his heart with his own wife if he treats her as nothing but an object for his selfish pleasure. Um, and he points out that it is very significant uh, 
that Christ did not say if a man looks at a woman who is not his wife lustfully, but he said if a man looks in a, at a woman lustfully, meaning the problem is not who he's looking at lustfully. The problem is that he's looking lustfully. That's where the problem lies. And, and you are sensing that, I believe, in your you're just sensing a discomfort in undressing in front of him. You're sensing a discomfort in your marriage bed, and that is all understandable. I just want to say that and and then get to the next part of your question, which was what would we recommend as to how to heal, where to go from here, and that you're struggling to forgive him. All understandable, because the wound goes so deeply and forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness does not come cheap. Uh, when the wound goes so deeply, forgiveness is all the more difficult. And here I just want to hold out that forgiveness is not a human possibility. It's a divine gift. This is right in the Catechism. I, I often draw from Catechism 2843. I've probably quoted it 40 or more times in this podcast, over 160-plus <laughs> episodes. I know I've quoted it many, many times, but it is a go-to uh, paragraph in the Catechism for me, because I need to hear it over and over again. It's 2843, and it says, It is not in our power, listen to that, It is not in our power not to feel or to forget when someone has hurt us. So I just invite you this dear questioner, to, 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 to rest in that. Okay, this is not in my power. It's right in the catechism. It's not in my power to forgive or to forget this offense. But then the catechism invites everyone who's hurt by someone else to open that pain to the Holy Spirit. That's the most practical advice we could give you, is to open that pain to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will transform that pain into compassion. Your husband went to porn because he was suffering. It's not, especially if, if there has not been a pattern of this in his life uh, before, there's, there's a, a light to shine in this dark place that he went to in the fact that you were going through a dark time in your marriage. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of pain in your marriage, and he was trying to soothe that pain. He was trying to medicate that pain in a disordered, unhealthy, uh, terribly damaging way. But that's really what we're doing when we sin. We're, we're trying to medicate some pain. Not Maybe not always, but I think in this situation he was trying to medicate pain. I, I Almost inevitably, when people go to porn... They're trying to medicate some deep suffering, some deep pain in their lives, some deep loneliness in their lives. And I'm sure the fact that your marriage was going through tough stuff was, was a contributing factor there. Again, it doesn't justify any of his behavior. It just shines a light on it. Anyway, the, the catechism saying, when we open our pain to the Holy Spirit, it becomes compassion for those who have hurt us. Why did he hurt you? He hurt you because he was hurt. He was wounded. And I, I feel like I'm sounding like a broken record here because it was probably just five or six episodes ago that I was saying the exact same thing to someone else in, in pain. But I really believe this is the solution to our pain. 
to open it to the Holy Spirit, to let the Holy Spirit show us why this person caused us pain, because this person was in pain. And then the next line says that the Holy Spirit transforms the memory of the pain into intercession, that the very pain he caused you can become very powerful intercession for your husband. Through that intercession, through that work of the Holy Spirit in the pain, transforming it into compassion and intercession, this is where mercy begins to flow. This is where your attitude gets changed by the work of grace. Remember, it's not in your power to forgive him. But this great work of the Holy Spirit in your heart can transform your heart into a place of, of mercy. And this section of the Catechism is reflecting on the line in the, our Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's, and the Catechism says this is daunting. Uh, what, a, what a daunting prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. Uh, yeah, there, there can be, uh, when we are, put it this way, when we are finding it difficult to show mercy to others, it's an indication that we need to open more deeply to mercy ourselves. The expression is apropos in this case, you cannot give what you do not have. Uh, that mercy, I would invite you, dear listener, to let God's mercy go deeper in your own heart so that you have within you what you are called to give. Uh, Wendy, what are some of your thoughts? I agree with everything you're saying, Christopher. Um, I, I'm thinking during Lent, here we are in Lent and um, the Stations of the Cross are just coming to my mind, the the initial thing you said to this listener was uh, reverence for her sufferings being Christ's sufferings. And I could just see that this, it is hard to realize that when you're going through tough times, that there's a grace in that tough time. <laughs> there are beautiful graces in times that are joyful, but there are also graces in tough times. And um I have had an, a very powerful experience myself in an empty church, just walking through the Stations of the Cross and placing myself in as a character in each station, just asking the Lord to show me when in my life have I experienced this Station of the Cross. You know, it's, it's okay to recognize the sufferings of Christ in our own yes. story. Not only okay, it's it's this is where we identify with Jesus yes. and, and our own sufferings are given hope. Right. Because we don't only identify with him in his sufferings, we also get to identify with him in his glory and resurrection. Exactly. And so I think it in a in a prayerful mode to take details you haven't shared with us, details you have to uh, an opportunity for prayer and, and cleansing and going through stations of the cross can be very fruitful for 
anybody who's struggling to make sense of some very difficult parts of your story, of your own story. The other thought I have is just that um, your marriage of seven years, your three children, is a beautiful gift. And I think that one of the things you might not recognize is that God, because he has such a good plan that he wants to accomplish through your marriage, um, but we can see that he does because the evil one has attacked it. And I think as you are looking at these, the pain that you're experiencing now, looking back and, and understanding what happened during that dark time is an opportunity for the healing graces to go deeper. Uh, that whatever is not fully, you know, redeemed yet, and we're all not fully redeemed yet in your marital embrace, you know, that is an area where the Lord is continually just bringing things to light and giving us opportunities to really go deeper into the graces of our sacrament through the purification of the things that are not as he intended in the beginning. And it's it's nothing, it's not an accusation as, as if there's something worse about you than any other marriage or any other couple. That's true of all of us. I don't know if I'm expressing this very well. What I'm trying to say is I see the hand of the Lord working in your marriage. I see that it has been under attack. And I see that the light that you're getting now of how intense that attack was, you didn't even know it at the right. time, is a gift in order for deeper growth in your marriage right now. I think you're expressing it very well, Wendy. It's it's a it's a truth that you're communicating that the marital embrace itself can be and is meant to be a prayer and an opportunity of really interceding for your spouse. Uh, it's meant to be, this is straight out of theology of the body, the marital embrace is meant to be an expression of life in the Holy Spirit. Now, there, there are complications here, of course, you because there are wounds. There are wounds from what has happened. Um, but those wounds are also an opening to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you said your husband was asking all kinds of questions about faith itself, uh, questioning his faith. Uh, that can make it difficult to, to surrender, to really open in the marital embrace. Uh, but I would, I would also invite you, maybe, maybe the very difficulty of opening in the marital embrace can become itself a prayer for your husband. Now, I wouldn't give an across-the-board recommendation when there are real difficulties in a marriage or a husband is addicted to porn that the husband that the wife should still be engaging in the marital embrace uh, because it's not really a marital embrace when a husband is addicted to porn. Uh, he's he's bringing with him in his mind in his heart uh, uh, adultery, adulterous ideas, adulterous images. Uh, the very word adultery means to alter. Uh, when we commit adultery, we are altering God's plan. When we bring pornographic images into the marriage bed, we are altering God's plan. There's an adultery happening in the mind and in the heart 
through pornography. So please don't hear my suggestion here uh, as as a blanket suggestion for all people who are in difficult marriages where pornography is involved. I'm I'm assuming here, I'm taking this situation at, at the word of the questioner who said uh, this is an isolated incident and uh, he has promised not to do it again, and I think there's there's reason to believe that. So in a situation like this, it seems it's the pain of the memory that this has happened. And I'm suggesting that offering the pain of the memory that this has happened as intercession for your husband, even in the marital embrace, is a powerful way of praying for your husband in all of his seeking, and all of his questioning. We as spouses are for our spouse, our number, their number one intercessor. You are your husband's number one intercessor. And I think one of the graces here is that the Lord wants to teach you how really and truly and deeply to pray for your husband. And that means bearing his burdens, uh, bearing his burdens in your heart. He may not even know how to open the burdens of his heart to the Lord, but maybe the Lord is placing the burdens in your husband's heart, in your heart, so that you can offer them to the Lord on his behalf. That's a deeper level of intercession than just, you know, well, I'll say a Hail Mary for you, which is all fine and good, but there's a deeper, a deeper kind of intercession where we actually carry the burdens in our hearts of the people we are interceding for, because they don't know how to offer those burdens to the Lord. So we do it on their behalf. And I think that might be a way of looking at the pain you're going through right now as a a means of interceding for your your husband. Mm. I think I think this is. I'm so glad you asked your question. I feel like a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. So thank you so much. We're going to keep you in our yes. prayers. Bless you, bless yes. you, and thank you for being a patron of our work. We're so grateful for your ongoing yes. support. Yes. Oh, oh, and I'll just throw out because you're a patron. Please, please, if you haven't already, look at the retreat that I did with uh, Bob Schutz, where we were talking about sexual healing, and look at the retreat I did for patrons with Andrew Kamiski and his team from Desert Stream Ministries. Uh, I think both of them will, you'll find very helpful. Our next question is from a listener named Marie. She says, thank you, Christopher and Wendy, so much for blessing me with your podcast. You're welcome, Marie. I'm a practicing Catholic and a first-year nursing student in Canada. I listen to your podcast each day on my commute. It makes my heart leap that I can serve other people and treat their bodies with dignity through my profession. Wow. My question is this. My nursing professors obviously support contraception. And they mention that condoms in particular can have other uses. Especially in street nursing, it is common practice to give the homeless condoms as a form of harm reduction not only to prevent conception, but also because condoms can prevent sexually transmitted diseases. And the homeless population has a very high rates of STDs. Would condoms in this case still be immoral, even if they're not directly aimed at preventing con conception? Marie, I'm aware of some conversation among Orthodox theologians asking this question. Could there be a case in which there is the use of a condom to prevent the spread of disease, 
where we already know, I mean, let, let's just face this, let's just look at this squarely. The kind of sexual relations we're talking about are immoral at the start, right? Right from the start, we're dealing with immoral sexual activity. But is there some lessening of an evil that could result from the immoral activity in providing condoms to, to homeless people? There are some theologians who would argue Yes, that could be preventing a, a, the spread of disease and could be justified. I, I would not go down that road myself as a theologian. Uh, here's an analogy. And we're talking about homeless people, so the analogy is, is kind of close to home. Uh, oftentimes, people will think because homeless people are often taking drugs and they're spreading diseases with dirty needles— the solution is to give them clean needles. Well, well, wait a minute. We are fanning the flame of a really dysfunctional situation. The problem is not that they're spreading dirty needles. The problem is that they're on drugs and that they're homeless. That's the problem. And, and if we think we've done our good deed for the day by giving out clean needles, oh, haven't I done my good deed and I kind of wash my hands of it, we, we are not really looking at the real situation. And I think there's a direct analogy here with giving out condoms to homeless people to prevent the spread of STDs. The problem is that they're homeless and that they're having illicit sexual relations and we need, if we really want to show them love and not just put a Band-Aid on a gaping wound, but really address what's the real underlying problem, we have to go deeper. And, and, and putting condoms into the mix is going to foster the deeper problem. It's not going to solve the deeper problem. Uh, and obviously... Whenever you use a condom, it has a contraceptive effect. So, I mean, this this whole situation is we're dealing with layers of, of immorality here. And this is not to wag fingers at anybody or scold anybody, but I want to hold out. If we want to be real, if we want to be of real service to those in such dire situations, giving them condoms is not only not going to help it's going to foster the bondage that they're in. I think I'll, I'll leave my answer at that. Do you want to add anything, Wendy? Uh, only that I used to be a nurse a long time ago, and I can certainly relate to the dilemma when you are in that medical field and the, the way of viewing something of, like this is not through the the lens of faith through the desire for the true good and dignity of every human being. Um, not, I mean, I don't think that they realize it's not the true good and dignity, but when you have the fullness of faith, you're certainly clear that this is not truly a good thing. Um, and that, that can be a hard thing yeah. to go through and it comes up in different uh, ways in our time and in healthcare, um, that is not said to discourage you at all. I too, like you, just find caring for people's needs and illness and suffering 
a very meaningful way of connecting with other people. And it is a great blessing for me. Not everybody has that way of connecting with people. And if you do, praise God for that. Um, I, this isn't going to be the only time that you come up against something where you recognize that the approach that's being taken is far from the full truth and dignity of human beings. And I'll just add this to give some historical perspective, just to to point out how contraception has changed the the mentality in the way medicine is practiced. I mean, you could almost say across the board. Uh, when the pill debuted in 1960, there were doctors around the world who rightly recognized that prescribing the pill to render a woman's womb sterile was a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, the Hippocratic Oath, uh, an ancient promise in the medical profession that we will not give any medicine or potion, you know, that's kind of old language, but that's I think that was even in the Hippocratic Oath. Mm -hmm. um, no medicine, no potion, no... Um, supposed treatment that in fact caused harm. Uh, the fact that sex leads to babies is, is, doesn't mean something is going wrong. It means something's going right, right? Fertility is not a disease. To take a pill or, or use a condom or whatever procedure you might be uh, applying to render the sexual act sterile is acting against, contrary to, the healthy functioning of the human body. So those doctors who stood up in the early 60s and recognized the pill as a contradiction uh, and violation of the Hippocratic Oath, they were correct. Well, guess what? The Hippocratic Oath is not taken anymore because uh, you can't take it honestly. So, so that's just an, a little window into the way the very practice of, of medicine has changed. And we need to keep that in mind. The way things are now is not the way it always was. Just holding that out there just mm. to give us some perspective. That's true. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Hi, I'm 18 years old, and I just started a relationship a few months ago with my girlfriend. I've never been in a relationship before, so I've realized that I'm really sensitive to any kind of physical touch. And even holding hands makes my body aroused. The thing is that sometimes when I'm looking at pictures of her, I start to get aroused and have thoughts about wanting to masturbate, which has never happened, or sexual thoughts in general. I find myself in a battle trying just to look at our pictures in a normal way. Any advice on this? Bless you, brother. I'm so happy you are putting this in the light. It is so normal. Nothing you are you this is life, my brother. Don't think something is is abnormal here. Uh I, I was about to shout out beautiful, but then I heard you say there can be these temptations to masturbate. Uh, you know, the temptation to masturbate is not a beautiful thing. But your attraction to this woman is a beautiful thing. The fact that your body is moved and aroused just by her holding your hand is a beautiful thing. The fact that your body is stirred by looking at a picture of her is a beautiful thing. And I want to hold out to you, my dear brother, that that stirring of your body has a goal. 
has an aim, has an end, a God-given purpose, which is to learn how to love. And that's the struggle you're in right now. Uh, you, you want to be very careful that you do not think that the arousal itself that's happening in your 18-year-old body, you're at the peak here, you're at the, the, the peak age of, of the potency of your masculine body, and, and that is something to rejoice in, to thank God for, but when in that moment of being tempted to masturbate, which is really an inversion of the entire movement of your body, right? The God-given movement of your body is that your body is telling you, you are created to lay down your life for a woman. You are created to be a gift for a woman. You are created to be a gift for children. Uh, why, why does a man have testicles? Uh, I'm, this is just etymology, right? We share, the, the word testicles shares the same root as words like testify, testimony, testament, right? These are biblical words. We are created by God as men with testicles in order to testify to the eternal fatherhood of God. That's what your body is telling you it's made to do, to testify to the eternal love and fatherhood of God. That is something to celebrate. That is beautiful. That is glorious. That is awesome, right? But because of original sin, that testimony has been terribly distorted and twisted. And what we often experience in our body is not a desire to testify to the love uh, and fatherhood of God as men. What we often experience in our bodies is a selfish base pool to gratify my own urges at someone else's expense. When your body is moving in that direction, do not repress the desire or or push it down. John Paul II says, if this is our approach to chastity, it's only a matter of time before what we have pushed into the subconscious awaits the opportunity to explode. Right? The path forward, my good brother, is one not of repression, but of redemption. Here's a prayer you might pray. Whenever your body is aroused, when she reaches out to touch your hand, when you're looking at a picture of the two of you, whatever the situation might be. Lord, I praise you and I thank you that you have created me to be a man, to testify to your eternal love and fatherhood. Lord, I praise you and I celebrate that. That is awesome. Thank you for making me this way. But I recognize this desire has gotten twisted up in me. I'm tempted to, to, to masturbate, which is, as I was saying earlier, it's just this inversion this, this aiming back on self, that call to go out. Recognize that, put that in the light with the Lord and say, Lord, I ask you please, by the power of your death and resurrection, to untwist in me what sin has twisted so that I might become a true testimony to the truth of your love, to the truth of your fatherhood. Right? That is the path to chastity. The way we overcome bad eros or disordered eros 
is with good eros, with ordered eros, and plenty of it. And the only way we can enter into that reordering of eros, it's not some uh, mental trick or game or self-help thing. It's an opening of my wounded, broken humanity to the real power of grace, right? So open yourself to grace. And I, I recommend to guys, when you are in the moment of temptation to, to lustful indulgence, put yourself, literally put yourself in the shape of a cross and stay in that shape and pray that prayer, stay in that shape until you make a Passover. Uh, and notice if you're hands are out in the shape of a cross, that's a good place for your hands to be when you're in a temptation to masturbate. Just saying. Very good. Stay there, <laughs> stay there, and let the Holy Spirit come in to your heart, to your desires, to your body, to redirect, to reorder. And there's going to be a death. What we're talking about here is living out, entering into the death and resurrection of Jesus. There will be a death. And this is often the times where, where we're tempted to get off the cross, because dying with Jesus hurts. And in those moments when we're in the shape of the cross, asking our desires to, to be crucified with Christ, um, then we may hear these uh, little voices that are very sweet, that sound something like this. Jesus couldn't possibly want you to suffer this much. You come down off that cross to which we should respond, get behind me, Satan. I think so few people experience real liberation and real redemption of their sexual desires because they don't make the Passover from dying to rising, because it hurts. But brother, be willing to embrace that crucifixion. St. Paul says, those who are willing to carry in their bodies the death of the Lord will also carry in their bodies the life of the Lord. And that's where we become more and more an authentic testimony to the eternal love and fatherhood of God. I feel hesitant to speak because you're manly. You're talking to another man. I love you guys. All you men who are listening, I... I'm grateful for your manliness. It is, it is a call to be a gift. It's a powerful call. Um, and I, I think just in the, I don't want to add anything to the awesome advice that you've given. When I look at what you're, you're asking here, a thing that is striking me is just that um, you're, you're both. I imagine both pretty young, um, and in the midst of getting to know one another in your relationship, getting to know one another better, and enjoying companionship and um, kind of the excitement of entering adulthood and what is to come. Um, there's there are times when our minds can build up another person to be kind of we're hoping that person is kind of the answer to all our longings that are kind of unconscious and we don't even really recognize that we're doing that. And I think as you practice these, these prayers and these commitments to 
really allowing the Lord to purify your heart, I pray that it also gives you a freedom to see your girlfriend as the woman that she is without pressure that she needs to be someone for you that may not be who she is any more than you would want her to try to make you into someone for her that isn't your true self. Um, so I just, I just want to hold that out to you that, you know, if you're, if, if all of these powerful feelings that are um, coming into your heart, if you can ask the Lord to help you to genuinely love the real person that she is in a way appropriate to your stage of relationship. So not to rush it ahead and not to um, grasp onto it, but to have a certain freedom to appreciate her and to um, encourage her to be her real self and for you to share your real self with her. I think that that can also be a, a, a beautiful grace and fruit of purification of your heart. Wise words, my dear love. I'm reminded of something Wojtyla says, John Paul II, in Love and Responsibility. And, and this is a real word of encouragement to you, my good brother. He says, a, and this is a direct quote, I've memorized this one because I love it, a readily roused sensuality is the stuff from which a rich, if difficult, personal life can be made. And it can draw out of our hearts a more intense experience of personal love. So there's the calling, my brother. Your readily roused sensuality is, is rich, right? Opened up to the purifying power of the Holy Spirit. It will help you learn how to love in a more personally, personally enriching way. And if this podcast is helping you to enrich your life, maybe <laughs> share it with somebody else. Who do you know who needs to hear what you heard today? Hit that share button and let's spread the good news. The good news that we all need to hear over and over and over again is that we are loved. And in being loved, we are called to receive God's gift and share that gift. We are called to be a gift because that's what we are. We are all gifts and yet, we fall short of being that gift. And that's what John Paul is inviting us to, to the fullness of the gift, when he says, Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.